My name is Milian Mori and welcome to our podcast Warrior Family. We are a family of successful entrepreneurs, visionaries, hustlers and leaders. We are compassionate, loving, fearless and determined. We fight for love, profits and a better world. And this podcast was made for future leaders, entrepreneurs, world changers and families all over the world. We gained our wealth by running one of the best network marketing companies in Europe and successfully coaching and speaking empire. Our stories, tips will show you that everything is possible. And this podcast includes all the best sales, marketing, relationship, personal growth, and health advice you can get and interviews with the most successful people in the world. Our motto is, my business is not my family. My family is my business. And we are here to show you how to have it all. Hello, everybody. This is Warrior Family, and I am Smilian More. And you are all here, my friends, because you believe that we can all create and live the life worth living. But in order to do that, we have to do something about it. And my purpose within this show is uh, to bring your guests and introduce uh, them and their ideas, their beliefs, their strategies that can help you become uh, something that you always aspire to become and to create the life worth living. And today I have a special guest. Uh, his name is Steve Orsher. He is known as the world's foremost reinvention expert. He is the host of Reinvention Radio and the Beyond Eight Figure Business Podcast. He is the author of many books like this one, What is Your What? Internet Profits and many more. He appeared on the cover of a founder magazine too. He is the creator of New Media Summit, the only event where you can connect personally and I witnessed it, which with today's most popular podcasters and live with bookings in hand. So welcome, Steve, hey, to my show. I, appre I appreciate because you took some precious time from your we just busy finished, life. We just finished we the event. We just finished the, the event. <laughs> Three so, days, man. Yeah. <laughs> so you were busy talking about the podcasting. We will touch this topic a little bit later. But uh, let's start with something that um, the Warrior family is also all about the show yeah so you are a dad you're a husband you have two kids yeah 15 and 11 two boys now 15 right? and 11 yeah. so how do you deal with these teenagers <laughs> i have a son yeah. he's seven daughter she's eight but yeah. you know you have two boys yeah 15. two boys yeah. 15 and 11 you know man it's like boys will be boys right <laughs> i mean you know i know right and so sometimes you just got to let them figure out their own way I mean, you can, okay. if you try to push them into too tight of a box, like, you know, you yeah. take a big thing, put it yeah. in a small box, you know, they, they want to break out, right? So you got to give them the room to make some of their own decisions, make some of their own mistakes. And you can't get mad at them when they do. You just have to make it into a learning opportunity, mm -hmm. right? And help them to, to grow. But, you know, sports go a long way too sports, with yeah. boys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, how do you, do you believe in work-life balance at all or? Yeah, I work three days a week. So I, oh, no, I have, really? yeah, I have three multi-million dollar companies. Uh, yeah, that's probably not in your notes. <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's not. Yeah, I, I work three days a week, man. Typically Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Really? And for me, why else would you do this? You know, because it's like, if I wanted to go get a job and work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, well, I could go do that, right? But there, I think the reason to be an entrepreneur and to go out on your own is so that you actually can 
work less and have more of what's most important to you. But, you know, man, it's taken me a long time to figure what out what, what that is for me. I mean, I'm not one of those people who just was like, you know, I know I only want to work a few days a week. I Like, I had to figure that out. How long did it take you? It's really been within the last couple of years mm-hmm. that I've taken more time off during the week to be with my kids and to be with my wife and so on. But I will say this, I have mm-hmm. every day, uh, for as long as uh, the kids have been in school, I take them to school, I'm home when they get home, you know, I mean, unless I'm traveling or I have an event yeah, like yeah, this, yeah. but Makes sense. I almost always take them to school and I almost always am there when they come home, you know, try to, I don't know, in, uh, in uh, Slovenia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. where you're from. Yeah. I don't know if they have this, this ad campaign. Um, but they talk about play every day for 60 minutes. It's like they want kids to go outside mm-hmm. and play every day for 60 minutes, one hour. So I try to do that with my kids, too. Like, I make sure every day we play We play every day, you know. And it's just the boys love baseball. They love football. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's one of the ways that we connect. So, But it took me a long time to realize that if I keep working and keep waiting for tomorrow and keep mm-hmm. waiting for, you know, when I cross that line, whatever that line is that I draw for myself. And I'm like, okay, when I get there, mm-hmm. then I can do something else. You're never going to cross that line. You're always going to move it mm-hmm. farther and farther and farther. You know, you have a million followers, you want two million followers. Yeah, you have $100,000 in the bank, you want $200,000 in the bank. You know, you got a, a good house, you want a great house, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. The line, it always moves. Wow. So you're taking, really taking time yeah. for your kids, which is not so common. They're only young ones, you know? Yeah. I mean, man, I like... You are doing this from the beginning? When yeah. they were like yeah. one, I mean, at two least, years old? At least taking them to school okay. and being yeah. with them. Because yeah. I've worked for myself from home mm-hmm. since the year 2000. Mm-hmm. Before that, I had my own businesses, but I went to an office. So my first child was born in 2003. Yes. So he's never known daddy to have a, a job. He still doesn't know what I do. <laughs> he still doesn't really know. He just knows the lights are on. Yeah, he gets what he wants. And like, you know, I mean, to a point. But yeah, I mean, I've always been, I've always worked from home since he's been alive and he's now 15. So you are living proof that it is possible to work less, make more for the company and for yourself. Well, you make less at first. Yeah. Because when you build your team, mm-hmm. more money comes out of your pocket, mm-hmm. right? But eventually, you make more because mm-hmm. you do less. Mm-hmm. At first, though, it comes out of your pocket mm-hmm. for sure. We will, we will come back to this because I want to know how you structure your work week. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this question. You have 15, 11 years old sons. What about the traditional school system? Do you believe in the traditional school system and what you're going to do with your kids? Obviously, yeah. you are at home. Yeah. You are not in the job somewhere. So what yeah. do you want them to do, become? Yeah, it's a great question. How do you think about it? Because I'm under stress. Yeah. I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I believe in putting our children into the school system. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife was a Chicago public school teacher mm-hmm. for uh, a number of years. And I am a big believer in putting your kids into public school. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of private school for mm-hmm. various reasons, but uh, I can see why some people do that. But for me, mm-hmm. I just can't I understand why people want to do homeschooling. Mm-hmm. 
I don't have the discipline mm-hmm. to do homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So part of why I have our children in school, while my wife uh, you know, agrees on this mm-hmm. as well, is because I think there are certain things that you just cannot teach from the mm-hmm. home. And mostly it's social. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's how do you deal? Because like one of my children, uh, my youngest son, Xavier, mm-hmm. he was complaining about this boy last year. And he was kind of picking on him and not being very nice. And my older son, Isaiah, was complaining about one of his teachers. So, you know, one of his teachers wasn't very nice to him. And, mm-hmm. and it's those sort of lessons where no matter where you go, you're going to run into people that you just don't get along with. And if you shelter your children and you keep mm-hmm. hiding them from the realities of life, how are they going to survive? How are they going to thrive when things get tough? And Honestly, for me, a big reason why mm-hmm. I have them in public school, it's not for the education. It's mostly for the social mm-hmm. side of the mm-hmm. equation, to be able to play football and be mm-hmm. on a team and learn what that's about and to be able to understand that if you want to get to the next level, you have to perform, mm-hmm. right? So to mm-hmm. get from fourth grade to fifth grade, you have to perform. You want to go from sixth grade to seventh, you have to perform. You mm-hmm. want to start on your football team, you have to perform. Practice starts at four o'clock. You have to be there when you're home. You know, oh, I was taking a shower. I'm sorry. I was, you know, I was Snapchatting. I, you know, I was doing whatever I was doing. What are you going to do? You know. So I think there's certain levels of, of discipline mm-hmm. and that whole life experience that comes with being thrust into what is societal norms. Mm-hmm. That I think that we're doing our kids a disservice if we don't put them into that world as far as college goes, you know, my jury is uh, a little bit out as far mm-hmm. as college is concerned because I just, I know too many people who have a ridiculous amount of debt from college. I mean, I don't have any debt from college. My wife doesn't have any debt from college, but I know that there are lots of people who do because I'm not really sure that college prepares you for this mm-hmm. whole, uh, let's just call it making money, right? Mm-hmm. Like they yeah, prepare yeah. you yes. to to get to gain a skill, but not necessarily how to thrive in today's uh, economy. So, but, you know, maybe that's changing because I know there's a lot of talk about that. And maybe by the time my kids are ready for college, maybe they will have better curriculum. I hope so. That helps them be better prepared to thrive in today's economy. So what skills do you think they they have to learn now? Yeah, you know. While they are young. Yeah, I got to tell you, man, it's like it's all technology all the time. I mean, we can sit here and mm-hmm. it's like we can we can complain about, mm-hmm. you know, this is going away in terms of the jobs and this is changing mm-hmm. and this, that and the other. But you either embrace it or you get buried by it. What do you want to, you know, it's like for me, I have never gone on to Snapchat. You know, I have never I don't have a Snapchat account. My wife, she hates social media. She never has had like any like she doesn't have a Twitter account. She doesn't have an Instagram <laughs> account. No Snapchat. Like for me, I do some of it from a business perspective. But, you know, it's like the kids are all on it. And if you're going to like my audience, my audience is not the millennial. Mm-hmm. You know, my audience is not the 25 year old or the 18 year old no. or the 20 year old. You know, th- there are plenty of people who do all that motivate. You know, you want motivation in your 18. Go see Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. You know, like yeah, he'll yeah. he'll pump you up, and you know, hustle, go buy his book, hustle. go hustle, <laughs> you know, you want to learn how to hack things, you know, go go hang out with Tim Ferriss. You want to learn, learn how to sell, get your buddy Grant Cardone, you know, I mean, and that's all well and good. And I get that. But like for me, my audience, 
for the most part, are people who are looking to reinvent their lives. Like maybe they've spent 20 years in corporate and they know they have a gift to share. And they want to share that gift and leave a legacy that moves beyond whatever is just in their bank account. And they're ready for something more. And you have to have 20 years of life experience as an adult before you're ready for something more, right? Yeah. So that's, you know, it's interesting. But I, I think the point is for the youth, they, they have to understand how technology works. Yeah. They, so they do, have do you to. restrict how they use social media or telephone? Or? You know, it's interesting. So we have an app on our phone yeah. where we can control our children's phones. Mm -hmm. So we know, uh, let's just put it this way. We know mm -hmm. there's a list of the apps that they use on our phone. If we want to shut down mm -hmm. one of those apps, we push a button. We can set a schedule for how much time they can use their phones. Okay. What, you know, and, and even like the hours, like they can't use their phone after 11 o'clock okay. or something like that. And if they're Smart. bad, you know, they mm -hmm. don't act right, then we can actually block their phone mm. so that they can't use it well, at what all. What is the name of that? <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, it's called Our Pact, O-U-R-P-A-C-T. And it's on, it's on my wife's phone, it's on my phone, okay. and then we have control of their phones. But we don't limit the usage unless mm -hmm. they're like, crazy out of line or their mm -hmm. grades are suffering mm -hmm. because that's how kids communicate today. You know, they don't talk to each other on the phone. They don't just, you know, hey, it's no, how you no, doing? No. Yeah, like they don't, they don't communicate. Exactly. Yeah. It's the Snapchats. It's the Instagram. It's all the messaging apps. Yeah. And for us to shut that down, that would kind of be like our parents saying we can't use the telephone yeah. when we and were don't kids. Go out. And play out. Right. Don't go out and play. Yeah. Don't go out and hang out with your friends. It's kind of the same yeah, thing. Yeah. So technology. I mean, no matter how mm -hmm. you slice it. Okay. Technology. What else? What skills? Something else? Honestly, with the way that the economy is going right now, it there's if you just master how to win online, you can build a pretty you good can win. business. <laughs> you can win. Yeah. You know, and it doesn't take much. I mean, you see these kids who are building funnels through these programs now, right? Where it's before, you I mean, you're older like I am. You remember you had to build a website. You know, it was a lot of work to build a website. I remember I was traveling around the country speaking yeah. on stages. No website, no web page, no yeah. app. Nothing. Yeah. And today you just move this here, mm -hmm. move this here, move this there, and you can sell something, Yeah. right? Yeah. So as long as you give your children access to those types of tools, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then it's just simply a matter of them figuring out, mm -hmm. you know, what value do I bring to the table? What do I want to sell? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the older you get, you start thinking more about how I can really serve people. When you're younger, what's got the best margin? Mm -hmm. If I can, you know, mm -hmm. if I can buy this for $5 and sell it for $20, it's pretty mm -hmm. good. So teach your kids how to do that, right? Also selling. And selling. You know, I actually, I'm glad you brought that up. I bring, mm -hmm. so I also do a lot of speaking. Yeah. Uh, I bring my kids to my speaking mm -hmm. gigs and, and I have them sell my books. So they go up to people cold, <laughs> Me too. you know, you do this also. They are, they are selling my yeah. books, yeah. But I have them walk up to people so they can't just sit there behind yeah, a yeah, table, yeah, yeah. you know, and just, oh, you want to buy the, like, yeah, yeah, I make them go. go and, you know, to hi, feed. I'm here with my father, you know, to he's speaking. Exactly. Because in the rejection is where you will find all of the, the opportunity. Wow. In the rejection, you will find the opportunity. Yeah. Write that down, my <laughs> friend. <laughs> if you are enjoying interviews so far, make sure to follow me on other social media. 
You will find me on YouTube and Facebook as Million Mori Warrior Family, on Instagram as Smillion Mori, and on LinkedIn and Twitter as Smillian Mori, S-M-I-L-J-A-N-M-O-R-I. So you mentioned uh, selling and figure out what to sell, how to add value, but let's touch this. What sure. is your what? Most people are talking about you have to find out what is your why. If you True. don't have strong enough why, you will not make it. And you are talking about what? Yeah. What, what is the difference? So as you can see, uh, so the, the DNA strand, yeah. right? Uh, what I believe is that your why mm -hmm. is something that is external, meaning you can choose it. Like maybe you want to feed starving children in Africa, mm -hmm. or maybe you want to provide clean drinking water for mm -hmm. people of India or whatever it is. Maybe you just want to take care of your family. I mean, but it's usually something that is external mm -hmm. and you choose that. Your what in my vernacular is all about really what is in your DNA and it reflects how you are naturally wired to excel. So as mm -hmm. I say, your what really has chosen you, it's not that which you have chosen. And mm. so that's the biggest difference is in my way of thinking, your what is uh, internal, mm -hmm. it's already within, and you can spend a lifetime mm -hmm. denying mm -hmm. what that is or saying no to that, or you can embrace that and accept that. And that's where everything I believe is then aligned. Mm -hmm. And you know, people talk about operating in the zone of genius yes, or in, yeah. in a state of flow. flow yeah. And I believe that that's similar to, to mm -hmm. what we're talking about here, but the what is your what framework itself mm -hmm. is built around three core elements. Yeah. The first element is your gift. Mm -hmm. You have a gift. It could be communicating. It could be teaching. It could be healing. It could be protecting. It could be enrolling. Something of that mm -hmm. nature. So you have a core gift. gift. The second piece of the what is your what framework then is the vehicle. Mm -hmm. So what is the primary vehicle that you will use to share that gift? So let's say, for yep. instance, your core gift is healing. Yep. Maybe the vehicle you use to share that gift is like a massage okay. uh -huh. or acupuncture okay. or something yeah. of that nature. Mm -hmm. And then the third piece of the what is your what framework are the people. Mm -hmm. Who are the people that you are most compelled to serve? And over your lifetime, the vehicle and the people can change. That can evolve as you have more life experiences. Yeah. You know, maybe you, you're, you're afflicted with cancer or something happens to you. And after it, maybe you survived cancer. Mm -hmm. And from that moment forward, you want to help other people mm -hmm. who have been afflicted with cancer. But before that, you never would have thought about it. Right. So that can change the vehicle and the people that you're most mm -hmm. compelled to serve. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that the gift is within your DNA and it is a part mm -hmm. of who you are and that does not change mm -hmm. over time. But how you share that gift and okay. who you share that gift with, that is mm -hmm. more evolutionary. That so can if we look at your path, that's exactly what you are saying right now. So you have, I think you have this gift of sharing yeah, Communi communicating, communicating is my, yeah. networking. Yeah, I saw you on stage, so that is your gift. Some some people yep. are watching right now, and I know they, they are coming to me on my events and asking, you know, like 
what is my purpose? I cannot find my purpose. This is not the same. It's the wrong question. Yeah, it's not the same. Is it the same purpose in the gift? It's not the same. It's the wrong question, my okay. way of thinking. Yeah. Because the the purpose that someone may identify, mm -hmm. and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not trying to to knock anybody or what they yeah, say, but yeah. I just know that if you do what you love, the money doesn't always follow, right? And if you have a purpose, wow, that you know, is a strong. Well, it's true, right? I mean, like, look, you could you could be the world's best gardener, like you love gardening, you know, it's you you grow the best tomatoes. You know, in, in your city, like, you are the man for tomatoes, right? Like, everybody comes to you, you get this great batch, you give them out, you know, everybody's like, oh, man, Smiliana's the best, you know, tomatoes ever, right? But it doesn't mean that you should be a tomato farmer, you know? So the two are, in my way of thinking, very different. And, and what ends up happening is that when you try to find out what your purpose is or what it is that you're passionate about, oftentimes there is a disconnect mm -hmm. between what your purpose is or what you're passionate about and your ability to actually make a living from it. Mm. So to me, it's not about passion. It's not about purpose. It's maybe just about having a hobby that you like, you know, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, if you figure out what your what is, the way that I look at it is you should not only identify something that you're really good at. Again, you're naturally wired to excel in this way. It puts fire in your soul, mm -hmm. right? So it's something that you're really good at. You know, it's something that you love doing and it's something that people will pay you for. I mean, mm -hmm. I think it has to meet all three criteria. Mm -hmm. So something you love doing, something you're really good at, and it's something that people will pay you for. And oftentimes your passion and your purpose you, you can't make money from those things and that's why people get frustrated because mm -hmm. they're asking the wrong question. I think you're a master at this, how to figure it out, how to sell what your gift is. Can we talk about this? Because Sure. Yeah. So how somebody can package their knowledge and get it out to the marketplace yeah. that people are willing to pay? Yeah, and, it, and it, it all begins with understanding the people that you are most compelled to mm -hmm. serve. Mm -hmm. Most compelled to serve. Mm -hmm. I could do this for this group of people, I could do this for this group of people. I could do this. Like me, I can do you many can do things for many, many groups. Things, many things for many groups. Yeah. But if you really sat down and thought about it, there is one subset of the population that you are most mm -hmm. compelled to serve. And once you understand who that is, you can then take a step back and look at your internal skill set mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and understand how you can serve them based on what it is that you are exceptional at. Mm -hmm. Then we identify what it is that keeps them up at night, right? What is their biggest pain? What is the language that they are using in their head in terms of, I can't get over this, or we don't use, the, uh, the mistake that most marketers make is that they talk about what it is that they do or what it is that they have. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about it from the standpoint of being the solution to someone else's problem. You have as many followers as you do because you are the solution to someone else's problem. And mm -hmm. that's why they find you and that's why they love you. Mm -hmm. We just finished a new media summit event. Yeah. Why new media? New mm. media summit? Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, so, so to me, nothing wrong with old media, but I would yeah. say that old media are the traditional media radio, television, newspapers, yeah. etc. 
And what we're seeing is this shift from traditional media, or what I would call push media, where a small group of people decide all of the content that is going to be put onto these platforms, mm -hmm. and you as a consumer are going through those channels. And let's say you land on uh, like ABC, I'm not sure what it is in your country, but okay, like ABC, yeah. and you turn on the channel, and let's say Dancing with the Stars is on. You didn't choose for that show to be on, but it's there, yeah. so that was pushed to okay. you. Now you can choose to change the channel, but that was pushed to you. Same thing with the radio. Okay. You didn't choose for that song to be on the radio. It was pushed to you. You can change the channel. Versus the world of new media, which I believe podcasting, and yes, you're yeah. obviously a fan of yeah. podcasting, um, podcasting is one of the new media, which is a pull media, right? It's a pull media from the standpoint of the consumer mm -hmm. chooses what content they want, when they want it, and they consume it on their preferred device. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So push media is really the old traditional media. And pull media is absolutely the wave of today and the wave of the future. Mm -hmm. Just certain people are slower to get there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the New Media Summit was originally born around the idea of, so I'm a podcaster, yeah. and I've been podcasting oh, since yeah. since 2009. Wow. Uh, a little bit off, a little on, a little mm -hmm. off, a little mm -hmm. on, but consistent since 2015. And uh, so I think you mentioned it, but I'll say it again. Uh, so I have a show called Reinvention Radio, mm -hmm. which features people who have reinvented their lives mm -hmm. and are dismantling the status quo. So maybe they were a janitor, and now they have a nonprofit, you know, like like me, police officer, and then exactly, exactly, <laughs> speaker, coach, and yeah. business owner. Yeah, and you're changing the world as a result. So we feature a lot of those mm. types of stories. And then our new show is called Beyond Eight, Eight Figures, yeah. which exclusively exclusively features entrepreneurs who have either exited or sold their business for more than ten million dollars, mm -hmm. or currently run a business that generates more than ten million dollars mm -hmm. annually. And so originally what we decided to do in terms of creating the New Media Summit was we decided to create a forum for ordinary people mm -hmm. to be able to meet podcasters and be able to pitch them on who they are and what they do and get booked on their shows on the spot. Because every single week, you know, we would get 20, 30, 40 applications for people to be mm -hmm. on Reinvention Radio. And... Oftentimes, someone would look really good on paper, and then you sit down and you'd interview them, and they'd be like, you Nothing. know, like, put everybody to sleep, or they just didn't, you yeah, know, they, they yeah. were good in two minutes, but they were yeah, not good yeah. in 20 minutes, you know, or, or not maybe good in one hour. <laughs> exactly. And so as I talked to more of my podcaster friends, what I realized is that they were having some of the same difficulties of finding really good guests. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of my friends have daily shows, so they need wow. a lot of guests. Others have weekly shows, etc. Yeah. But it really became a win-win-win scenario here because we, as podcasters, would win from the standpoint of, mm -hmm. you know, we're looking for really great guests. And it would be a win for the attendees to be able to get booked on the right shows mm -hmm. because they're looking for more visibility, more credibility, more authority. So they want to get onto these shows. 
And then because we would find really great guests this way, we would then provide a win for the audience mm -hmm. by bringing them really good guests who can add value and further the conversation. So that was the original idea behind the New Media Summit. And we just finished our third one uh, actually today. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, I, and I think it went really, really Congratulations well. Congratulations. Thank you. Devin. Thank you. Many people watching right now, they are probably asking this question, why should I start a podcast? It's a lot of work. Yeah. They get caught up in the technology. This is first thing. Yeah. I was the, the one. And then why podcasting? You know, how can yeah. you make money? <laughs> they watch me that you are traveling around the world doing all these interviews. How you, you will monetize this? Yeah. Yeah. So can you share a little bit how we can how they can start a podcast, what yeah. it's important, and then how to monetize. how to monetize. Yeah. So so two different questions. Yeah. Um number one, I would say that you don't have to start a podcast at all. Okay. Now you can absolutely take advantage of everything the medium has to offer without having your own show. Okay. How do you do that? Well, you become a guest mm. on shows, right? Yeah, yeah. The New Media Summit, that's what our event is about. Our event is not about we're going to teach you how to start a podcast. No, it's not, yeah. No, our event is we're going to give you the opportunity to connect with people who already have podcasts and they're looking for guests. I mean, I have personally been a guest on over 500 shows in the last three years. And as a matter of fact, outside of a, a few Facebook ads, I don't do any other marketing wow. at all other than through being a guest on other people's shows or having our own show. But I don't know if you were there for the, for the exercise where I asked people in the audience to stand up and share how they came to the event, in mm -hmm. other words, where they heard me yeah. from and how they ended up at the New Media Summit. And, and it was interesting because only two of the 150 attendees that were there were there because they heard my podcast or heard me as no a guest way. on another podcast. And so here's where the misconception is. There are some people, very, 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 very few people, who can treat podcasting as though it is a business mm -hmm. and they can make money from the podcast oh. itself. There are some people who can do that. Joe Rogan, you, sure. get, you get 30 million downloads a month. You, you can, can make money from your podcast. You can charge some sponsorships. But what I believe is that there is the business of podcasting. So I don't see podcasting as a business, but I do believe in the business of podcasting, which means that podcasting for me is a, is a branch on a tree. Mm -hmm. It's just one branch on a tree that supports you know, that particular element of what I do in terms of providing visibility. But the money that I make doesn't come from podcasting. It provides credibility, it provides authority, it allows me to connect with people yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. but I don't look at podcasting itself as a revenue generator or as a profit center. Mm -hmm. I look at it from a credibility standpoint to be able to connect with people like you, to invite people like you onto yeah, my show, yeah. You know, you talk about the why. We had Simon Sinek on our show, right? Yeah, if I don't yeah. have a platform like our show, yeah. how, can you how does someone like Simon Sinek say yes? Or, you know, J.J. Virgin or Michael Gerber or, mm -hmm. I mean, Michael Hyde. I mean, you name it, they've been on our show and it's awesome. But it's a platform and it complements the other branches on the tree. The problem is most people in the podcasting world, mm -hmm. their tree has one branch. Uh-huh. You talked about on the event about the 10 profit paths. 
yeah, so there's a yeah, yeah. so the profit path maybe more uh, appropriate for this conversation yeah. than just to continue what we've just been talking about uh, is the seven by seven, seven model. model yeah. yeah, the yeah. seven by seven model that I've taught, which basically reflects the seven initiatives that we consistently implement that fuel our seven figure plus business. And so the seven by seven model is, well, it starts with a core visibility strategy. So for you, you have big social media following. So social media could be your core visibility strategy. For other people, it could be podcasting. It could be being a guest on podcasts. It could be YouTube. It could be Facebook Live. I mean, whatever, whatever. it is. It could be traditional media. Maybe you, you know, appear on TV shows. I mean, it's what you do. So, but you need a core visibility strategy. Mm-hmm. And the second piece of that is then having what I call the $1,000 funnel, which basically means that every time I appear on a show, I average about $1,000 in immediate income. So you need a system with which to take advantage of the visibility that you generate. Because the reality is like we could have a great conversation and if I just say, okay, thank you so much and goodbye, and then that's it. You know, we provided lots of great content here and people hopefully got something out of this interview. But if I want to further the conversation, I have to bounce them somehow into my ecosystem, mm-hmm. which means I have to get them onto my mailing list or I have to have them set up a call with my, with my team or something, right? So we've been talking about like, what is your what? So if, we were, so if I was on a personal development show sure. and I was talking about the what is your what framework and maybe mm-hmm. self-help and, this, you know, and sharing stories of people who have discovered their what and they're leaving a legacy, a powerful legacy as a result. And the listener is thinking to themselves, wow, I, I want to discover what my what is. I want to understand the what is your what mm-hmm. framework. And, and I turn around and I say, okay, great. If you go to whatisyourwhat.com, you can grab a free copy of the entire book. Well, they're already thinking they want to go out and buy the book. And if I say go to whatisyourwhat.com and you can get an entire, you know, the whole, the whole book for free, then a lot of people do that, right? So when we do that in our $1,000 funnel, and I call it the $1,000 funnel again because I earn about $1,000 in immediate income every time I appear on a show, we then have them opt in. So in this case, it would be like for the book, we've got other funnels, $1,000 funnels as well. But in this case, it would be an opt-in for the book. If they opt in for the book, then we would then offer them a free copy of the hardcover mm-hmm. version you know, Brendan Burchard made that model famous. Mm-hmm. It works great. great yeah. And we then have an upsell for a course, which is basically video of yeah. me taking a room full okay. of people through the what is your what process. And we break it up into modules and we sell it very inexpensively. But every time I appear on a show, it generates about $1,000 in immediate income. Mm-hmm. So you need what I call a $1,000 funnel, funnel, you know, because that's the only way that you're going to be able to develop the requisite no like and trust factor you know you got to have rapport with people in order to get them into your world and then potentially move the right people into appropriate products programs or services so without that nothing else matters right because the other pieces of the 7 by 7 model i mean they're almost irrelevant unless you have the ability to capture those mm-hmm. leads and to be able to develop a real relationship with potential yeah. customers. I mean, at this point, they're not even prospects. They're not even leads. They're just listeners. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. You know, they might know your name a little bit now. Okay, great. But what does that translate into? And I think that's one of the mistakes that I see a lot of podcasters especially make. I mean, 
I know podcasters who get a million downloads a month on their show, and they can't fill a room of 50 people. Why is that? Because they don't have a system in place to be able to nurture that relationship. You you cannot buy gas with uh, downloads. Right. That's what you say. Yeah, you can't buy gas with downloads. I love that. And it's yeah. true. You know, and, and a lot of people spend so much time teaching how to do things that they don't need you. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand that you can still give people a lot of value and really help people by teaching them what to do mm-hmm. and sell them the how to do it. I like it. Yeah, makes sense. You started uh, recently Beyond Eight Figures. Yeah, podcast. What is the why behind starting yeah, <laughs> this you know, podcast? I've been a, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time. When I was 19, I opened up my own nightclub. So yeah. I've been an entrepreneur a long time. Not no alcohol at this club. So it was a, like, a, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. a juice bar, you yeah. know. But music, you know, the everything, right? A club. When was this? 19. When I was 19. So that's uh, 19. This is your per- first business venture. First real business venture. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so that was 1991. That was my first real business venture. I mean, before that, you know, I shovel snow and rake leaves and work in restaurants mm-hmm. or whatever, but that was my first real business venture. And, you know, look, for me, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I've been online a long time. You know, I mean, I've been online since 1993. We launched on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993 and that company became liquor.com like what you drink you know in 1998 so for me there's there's no one easy answer you know to the question but i can tell you from personal experience that it's an evolutionary process you know things continue to evolve and if like tony robbins says right i mean if you're not growing then then you're dying And and i think some people try to hang on to things uh, much like it's already dead in your hand and you're mm-hmm. still squeezing it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So you started with the nightclub. Yeah. Then the next venture was Liquid. Uh, well, I got Liquid. into the catalog business after Cat- that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we, we got into the catalog space pretty early, um, right around 1992, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Uh, and then, yeah, we went on to CompuServe. And then real estate? Yeah, I started. So we actually, um, so when we bought the liquor.com domain, in 1998, $7,500. In 1998. In 1998. Which, you know, at the time, man, it was it was a lot of money. You know, we were a small business. And we eventually, I, I eventually sold the domain for $4.25 million. That's good news. That's good news. Except he made the first <laughs> few payments and then didn't make the rest of the payments. So, <laughs> but it just shows the value of the domain. But at the time, it was one of those things, man, where I was like, you know, I, I just don't know if this is the right move for us to do. And that leap of faith, and sometimes you just have to take mm-hmm. that leap of faith and believe that the opportunity is is, is being presented to you for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, and, and take that leap of faith. But th- these were the years where what was going on at that point was it was, it was crazy in the inter- Internet marketing space. The whole Internet was blowing up in the mid to late 90s and you had people who were like presenting ideas on a napkin to venture capital firms and they were like oh let me give you a check you know i mean it was crazy and so we actually uh, had filed to go public in march of 2000 
And that's when the whole market's really tanked and imploded. So we couldn't get out. I had to walk away from the entire business. And basically, we closed up shop. And that, that's when I got into real mm-hmm. estate after mm-hmm. that. Uh-huh. But, how long? How long? Uh, I did real estate development for about 12 years. Wow. And completely different. Completely different. But, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and your family looks to you to, to provide, you got to do whatever you got to do. So why did you get out? Of real estate? real estate? Yeah. Well, that market crashed too. Uh-huh. Right? I don't know what happened in, in Europe. but So you're going with yeah, the flow. Like. Going with the flow. Yeah. I mean, you have to. But for me, you know, one of the biggest lessons learned throughout all of that is no matter how far you fall, I mean, the club didn't work out. Mm Got to figure it out. Go to something else. Catalog business, online, liquor.com, file to go public, nine years of hard work, done. Real estate development, move into that, put my toe in the water, try to do a project or two, raise some money. Sell people on the vision, you know, bring them into mm-hmm. your world. And I ended up developing about $50 million worth of property over those years. And then that Crash. market crashed. We ended up losing three of our best buildings. I still have one of our best buildings, but we ended up losing three others of our best buildings. You know, and so now it's like, okay, what do we do? But the bottom line is like, you know, because we live in, in a society mm-hmm at least most of us live in a free society where if you make a mistake, people aren't coming at you to break your kneecaps, you know, with a baseball bat, you know, and like hurting your family, you know, and like here in America, they actually reward you when you take risk. Do you know why? Why? It's called bankruptcy laws. Mm -hmm. You know, bankruptcy laws are designed to protect those who get themselves, you know, way above their head, right, in terms of financial risk. Sometimes it's silly where they just buy too many clothes and cars and these sort of things, and they have to declare bankruptcy. And the government will protect you from creditors. But other times, it's an, entre- it's an honest entrepreneur who wants to start a business, and they see a vision for themselves, and they see a vision for their families, and they see how they can help people, and it doesn't work out. And the government is there to catch you. You know, I mean, in a worst case, you get food stamps. In a worst case, you get welfare. And that's how it works here in America. I don't, you know, I don't know how it works there, but... They, a lot we have of, similar law right now. But, yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But I am saying that a lot of people are afraid to take that to leap of faith and afraid to fail. Yeah. And to me, there really is no such thing as failure. I view failure as success with an unintended ending. Mm -hmm. In other words, Mm -hmm. just because things don't go exactly as you want them to, it doesn't mean that you are a failure. Mm -hmm. You know, failure is one of those terms of ignorance that weak-minded people like to throw out at those who dare to soar to try to bring them down. You know, there's no such thing as failure. Not in and of itself. The word itself is meaningless. Mm -hmm. But some people choose to wrap that around them and carry that for the rest of for the rest life. of their lives. So I see the reason why you when the name of the show is reinvention. Yeah. You reinvented yourself many times. Many times. I'm the poster child for it. Why do you think I wrote the book? Uh, uh, that's, that's because I've been think. trying to figure this out my whole life. Wow. You know? How somebody can reinvent themselves that they are watching right now? Yeah. You know many people are suffering from this 9 to 5 yeah. job. 
Yeah, they you tried know, a business, they failed, yeah. and they think it's over. Yeah. What so, is what is the belief system behind that you have? You know, well, to get up every time to reinvent yourself. So, uh, so two two questions. Yeah, two so, questions. first question, to me, reinvention it really has nothing to do about changing who you are. Mm-hmm. It really has more to do with kind of shedding the the shackles of the personalities and the outfits and the expectations that have been thrown onto us over our lives and just kind of getting back to the core and the essence of who we truly are. And that to me is a true reinvention. Mm -hmm. When you stop trying to live by the whims and the agendas of other people, and you honor, you know, how you're naturally wired to excel. That, to me, is the ultimate reinvention. And how do people do that? Well, they honestly have to start with, well, first of all, they have to start, right? I mean, that's step one. Like, you have the lights on here really, really bright. It's the same analogy. You have to turn on the light switch, right? You have to make a decision that I want more or I want something different. Or this is not how I want it to be for the rest of my life. Because most people have the light switch off. But literally just that of turning the light switch on is a huge first step. It's much bigger than people realize. And once you then make that move towards saying, you know, I'm ready for something different. I'm ready for something new. Mm -hmm. Then you can begin identifying what is most important to you and what do you want that element of your life to look like and once you understand what that goal is now you can work backwards with action steps that start with today Mm -hmm. you know what's the first thing that you can do on that path in order to get to whatever that goal or objective is that you've identified and oftentimes you know it might take you years to get to whatever that goal or objective is But as long as you stay on that path, and we're going to take one step backwards, Mm -hmm. two steps forwards, one step, right? It's just life. But as long as you stay on that path, you'll, you'll eventually get there. Do you want to become extremely confident in a short period of time? Download my free ebook, Warrior Mindset, at www.warriorfamily.com and learn the best mental hacks and strategies to build your confidence. Can you share some the biggest business challenge that you faced in your... In which decade? In, in which year? <laughs> in my 20s, in my 30s, or my 40s? In which year? Yeah. <laughs> which year, yeah. yeah. And how did you overcome it? Well, I mean, the, the one that is freshest in my mind is the one that most recently happened. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, so this is the third New Media Summit that we've done. Yeah. Well, the New Media Summit almost didn't happen at all, even the first one. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, so I had said I was involved with real estate development. And so one of the buildings that we lost, uh, we were in the process, I thought, of negotiating with the bank to return the building to them because the loan amount for the building was much more than the value of the building. And we did not want or have the cash to pay the bank for the difference when the loan came due. So let's just say it was worth 
uh, you know, twenty million dollars, mm -hmm. and uh, and the loan was thirty million dollars, yeah. right? So yeah. we were not in a position to write a check for for ten million dollars. So what option do you have? Well, you negotiate with the bank to either try to get to better terms or you give them back the building. And so that's what we were in the process of doing, I okay. thought, because I actually moved to California, San Diego, in 2014. From where? From Chicago. From Chicago. Okay. And so we moved to San Diego in 2014. I just couldn't do the weather anymore in Chicago. Just, yeah, the cold and the gray. I just, I couldn't, couldn't <laughs> do it anymore. And so this building at that time, based in Chicago, mm -hmm. My attorney was there in Chicago, and I thought he was representing me throughout the negotiations with the bank. Well, it turned out that not only wasn't he representing me, there was court action taken against the building and the ownership. I did not know this. He wasn't going into court to defend these actions. So everything that the bank wanted, they just walked in. They said, here, judge. Judge said, counsel for the defendant. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody. Okay. Bum. Stamp. Here you go. Well, that, the loan, the original loan that we took out with the bank, well, that was what they call a non-recourse loan, which means I was not personally responsible for that debt. Mm -hmm. So if the building went belly up and, you know, we couldn't pay our mortgage anymore, then fine. We give it back to the bank and, and it's done. Okay. But because of the way that my attorney handled this and really the way that he didn't handle it, mm -hmm. that non-recourse loan became fully recourse. So now they're coming after me personally, personally. in addition to you know, my partners and so on. And anyway, big mess. And I got hit with a huge judgment against me personally for well over $7 million Whoa. the day before our first new media summit. The day before. The day before. And they seized all of my assets. No. They froze all of my bank accounts. The whole nine. All because the counsel that I had wasn't representing me. And so they literally walked in. They got everything that they wanted. And the day before the first new media summit, all of my accounts are frozen. All my assets are seized. Personal business. Everything. Everything. So, everything with my name on so it. So the only thing you have is the money in the pocket. Money in the pocket. Yeah. And what's interesting <laughs> is, you know, when push comes to shove and, you, and your back is really against the wall, human beings are very resilient. We find a way. What did you say to yourself when this happened, when you opened up the envelope and you see? Yeah. How well, do you, How do you tell this to your wife? Yeah, in case. that was hard, you know, because I'm the, I'm the primary breadwinner, right? I take care of the family. My wife was working, but, you know, she, my wife is a funeral director and embalmer. She takes care of the families mm -hmm. when someone they love, you know, has passed away. And so she does okay, but, you know, it's not a very high paying job. And that was tough because all the, you know, I mean, I remember she called me, she was, she was at the grocery store and trying to pick up groceries for the family, and mm. um, and the credit card was declined, you know, and so she trusted me obviously to take care of the family, and 
it, it was in that moment that I realized that I, I was way over my head. This was the most serious situation from a business perspective. So she called you, the credit card is not working. Yeah. So what do you say? Um, I didn't know why. And fortunately, she had her own account because we, you know, I just want to always make sure that she's got some something in savings somewhere in her own name just because I am a business person and I know these things can happen. So she was able to use her, her own card mm -hmm. to pay for the groceries, but when she called me to say that it was declined, obviously I called to find out what was going on, and that's when I found out about, I, that's, that's how I knew that all the accounts had been frozen. And so it was a... Uh, how do you feel as a man when you have to tell this? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, it's, it's one of the hardest things that I've ever had to go on. We've been married 21 years now. Mm -hmm. 21 years and it hasn't always been easy not by any stretch but having to to tell her you know that it was the only time in my life where I didn't see a way out you know everything else I'm pretty good about and I knew there was a solution but she she saw it in my eyes she she knew that this was different I mean she was upset obviously upset that I had trusted this attorney to take care of this situation while I wasn't present to do so and to really monitor what was going on. But, you know, it, it's one of those moments where your, your stomach just mm. sinks. And, and I did not eat for like three days. I mean, it was, it was that bad because I was completely blindsided by it. I didn't know this was happening in Chicago. And so at the time I was living and still living in mm. California, so they were able to take that judgment in Chicago and enforce it against me in California. And that's when everything, like I said, got frozen. And, and I knew that this was one of those moments where it, was, it would define me moving forward. And in, I could... In what, way? in what way? Well, in the way that if I could figure out how to continue to run my business and okay. continue to put food on the table and continue to keep the lights on mm -hmm. without having access to any of my bank accounts or any of my other assets, then it, from a, from a business perspective and from a life perspective, that it almost wouldn't matter what anyone else could throw at me. Mm. And right. what's really interesting is, and, and yeah, it was, it was really bad and I had to lean on some people to get us through. Hmm. But I mean, that's the importance of having a support system and having a community that you can lean on. But what's interesting is for the next nine months, my accounts all remained frozen. Nine months. And I had the best year from a revenue perspective in my business that I had ever had. It says something, you know? Everything. It says something. And, and I think what it really says is that you know, we as, as human beings, our capacity to persevere and thrive is so much larger and greater than we can even possibly imagine. And I'm not proud of what happened. You know, I have to take responsibility for my role in what happened, and I do. And we ended up settling the case, and I ended up writing a big check to make it go away. You know, once they unfroze my assets, I could write the check. But the reality is that so far as business is concerned and, and 
the combination of the challenge in the business and the combination of the challenge that I was experiencing with my wife and family in those moments and in those months is certainly the biggest challenge family, that, you that mean I've ever faced. Father, mother? My wife, right? My wife and my kids, looking at my kids and knowing mm -hmm. that I really had no idea how we were going to keep food on the table did because you, I had no access to cash. Did you tell them? I, de I didn't tell my kids. I didn't feel it necessary to tell my mm -hmm. kids the extent of what was What's going happening? on. But who, my wife knew. Who did you call first? Well, I, I called the attorney first. And then? And for the next six months, I stayed with him because he assured me and assured me again that he was taking care of it. And I am a deeply loyal person. When you come into my world, mm -hmm. you know, it takes unbelievable hurricane or something like that to and to get onto my like my fuse is really long like my fuse is way too long you know much much to my detriment and even though they had frozen all my assets even though they had you know frozen my bank account seized the assets i still believed in him because we had been working together for 12 years and and i still believed in him and when he told me he was he was working on it and he would get it fixed I still believed him. And that was the hardest thing with my wife because mm -hmm. she had been telling me for years to get rid of him because she sensed that there was something wrong with him. And I didn't trust her enough to take her advice. And even after all of that was going down, I still stayed with him, even though she told me, fire him today. And it wasn't until after I fired him and distanced myself from him, because I think that the bank thought that, that we were somehow in cahoots trying to, you know, finagle something out of the bank. Three months later, after hiring new counsel, we got it settled and resolved. What was the biggest revelation from this event? Obviously, you, I will listen to my wife <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> More. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think the biggest revelation really is your... You're going to always face challenges in business. No matter what it is you're trying to build, no matter how big or how small, you're always going to face challenges in business. And you cannot get to a point that is beyond either the capacity of your own limitations or the capacity of the limitations mm -hmm. of the people that you surround yourself with. And so mm. the biggest lesson to me was that you need to surround yourself with people whose limitations are much higher than yours because they have gotten to places that you haven't yet, haven't yet gotten to. Mm -hmm. And by surrounding myself with people who were playing, in this case, actually a smaller game than I was, it came to bite me in the butt, you know? And that's, that, that's the biggest lesson learned is if you have a bigger vision for yourself, you have to play with people who have a bigger vision and a bigger reality than you do. What will change now in the way how you do the business because of that? Well, I, I will certainly be much clearer on the vision that I have for myself mm -hmm. and my business and understand the people and have a better understanding of the types of people that I need to surround myself with in order to accomplish those objectives. 
And the reality is that if I knew who those people were today, I would already be where they are. I would already have those goals accomplished. So I need to be open to allowing people with a different skill set mm -hmm. than I have. I need to be open to allowing that group of people into my life and give them the same benefit of the doubt that I gave to the attorney who I trusted for so long, who ended up actually being someone who, who really mm -hmm. at the end of the day screwed me, right? So you mentioned I need to be open. You think you, you were not open? I think I was not open to, well, certainly not open to the advice of my wife who saw things from a much okay. different perspective than I did. And I wasn't open to the idea that someone else could accomplish the goals or the objectives mm -hmm. that were needed to be accomplished in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so part of what we do, we do this with friends, we do this with people that we work with and so on. Part of what we do is we're so afraid to break something that we think is working that it prevents us from actually moving into something much larger. Yeah. And so what we're so afraid to break is that container that we put ourselves into because it's comfortable. But we have to be willing to break out of this container that we put ourselves into in order to move into a much bigger opportunity. Mm -hmm. We get so comfortable in that container, whether it's people or actions or Relationship, and, and, and relationships. And you know, one of the things that I've really learned on our show Beyond Eight Figures is that building a million-dollar business is, is hard. It's challenging, for sure. But in order to go from a million dollars to $10 million, you have to be willing to almost break all of the systems and processes and strategies that got you to a million because none of those will work to get you to 10 and beyond. Mm -hmm. And that's what prevents most businesses, I, I believe that's what prevents most businesses from growing exponentially because they're not willing to break what got them to a million mm -hmm. in order to get to 10 and beyond. It's a huge lesson. It is a huge lesson. So I guess the bottom line is I'm now more willing to break things that feel comfortable. And not, not my wife, not that relationship yeah, yeah, there. Because yeah, yeah, okay. I love my <laughs> wife and my kids. Uh, you know, but, but from a business perspective, being more open to the idea of breaking what I thought was working, mm -hmm. when in reality it was really preventing me from soaring. Mm -hmm. Whereas I thought it was the key to growing and soaring. It was actually holding me down. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't willing to break those chains. Mm -hmm. That's the I biggest could, lesson. I, oh, I could finish right here, but I cannot. You said <laughs> I'm working three days a week. How yes. do you structure your average work week? Yeah. So honestly, I've got three businesses right now that all do over, well over a million dollars. Liquor.com. Mm -hmm. So I still actually have that. It's a long story. Okay. We can cover that maybe yeah, on another next, day. Next. But I ended up getting the domain back and now I've got a team out of San Francisco. Uh, that runs that mm -hmm. business. I'm based in San Diego. So one of the things that I had to do was I had to be willing to break my attachment to being the CEO and the president of that company. Okay. So I found uh, a couple of partners who actually run that business. I'm, I'm still the second largest shareholder, mm -hmm. but I'm not the first largest shareholder. I'm not the president. I'm not the CEO, but I still have a large ownership stake. But I had to be willing to let go of that and not run it on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. because it wasn't as important to me as it is to be with my kids and to be with my family and to not have so much stress mm -hmm. and to not be traveling to here and there and everywhere 
trying to sell and enroll people into that vision. So, so liquor.com, I don't have any day-to-day -day with it at all. I am chairman of the board and I operate on a board level. So there's no day-to-day -day on that. The real estate business, I have partners in various properties and those are all run by partners or management teams, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? So again, no day-to-day. And then with this space of what I call the soap space, the speaker, online marketer, author, podcaster. So I call it the soap space. You know, we're all you know. So that's that's my new thing. It's uh, we're all we're all soapers. We're so soap soap boys and girls. Um, but the soap space of, of the speakers, you know, the online marketers, the author, the podcaster. So in this world, I have a, again a a team of people. Mm -hmm. who handles the the day-to-day -day with it you know the majority of what i do is i create the content on thursdays when we do our reinvention radio shows and our beyond eight figure shows on tuesdays and wednesdays i serve those who come into some of our programs mm -hmm. like if we have group calls i lead those or if i have webinars i'll lead those and wednesdays i typically do interviews and leave space just to do other work like set up automation for you know indoctrination sequences and write do some writing and those sort of things um, and the other days of the week uh, I try to you know I'm not saying all day every day yeah, I don't okay. do anything yeah, yeah. you know if an important email comes in you know obviously I got to answer right. somebody my assistant calls me on the phone hey you got to talk to this person yeah I'll do that mm -hmm. but for the most part Mondays Fridays Saturdays and Sundays uh, I have off because I just don't have any real active day-to-day -day with the sort of the granular details, if you will, of those of those businesses. Mm -hmm. Any book that you recommend to me or my audience? Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge except one. that book, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the the old tried and true book by J. Conrad Levinson, mm -hmm. uh, which is called Guerrilla Marketing, mm -hmm. and a lot of millennials and younger people they've never heard of this book. And Jay Conrad Levinson, who was the author of that book, spoke at my event, Internet Profits Live, in, uh, in 2012. Uh, almost right around, the, he died just a, a couple of months later. So it was one of the last keynote uh, events that he, that he was doing. Uh, wonderful man. But, uh, but he passed a couple of months later, but that book lives on. If you implement the strategies from that book, which are a lot of no-cost marketing strategies, I tell you, it can make a. It's, it's a. It could be a six-figure shift in your business if you just mm -hmm. applied three or four of the strategies from Guerrilla Marketing. It's still as good today uh, as it was when he wrote it. Geez, 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. I'm sorry, I have to finish. Well, I have last question, which I call power message or last yeah. message. Just pretend that you only have five seconds to live. What message would you send to your kids? To my kids. To your kids, that would stay with them till the rest of their life. Something that they would remember that would inspire them to live fully. Yeah. I mean, if I had five seconds to say something to my kids, I would just simply say that, you know, daddy's proud of you. Wow. And I'm proud of you too, Steve, because you touched my heart with this story. And Thanks. You know, I'm doing this podcast and every show because I want to learn something. Yeah. And after the show, I sit down and I take notes. And thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. For being much. on my show. Thank and you for being who you are. And fortunately, I won the VIP day with you. You did. <laughs> <laughs> I was the lucky one. So you did. I, I was just thinking to bring uh, somebody with me. 
uh, to film the whole whole shit that sure. will go on. <laughs> right? Why not, man? Let's just keep it going. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, we are proud of you too. So buy the book or go to the whatisyourwhat.com. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know what is your what, if you want to know more about podcasting, which web page? Yeah, I mean, maybe uh, we can send folks to the New Media Summit page and they can New join Media us at Summit. some point. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Newmediasummit.net. Dot net. Okay. Yeah. We will put this web page, all the sources, resources from the interview in the notes. Watch next episodes and have fun. Resources from this interview are available online. Visit www.warriorfamily.com and download the free book Lessons from Millionaires with all the resources mentioned in the interview. If you want to be a warrior who has it all, visit www.warriorfamily.com and download my ebooks for free. Learn all about warrior productivity, habits, mindset, marketing, and sales strategies confidence boosters and many other things. I promise that you won't be disappointed. More valuable content is waiting for you on my social media profiles. Instagram, Smillion Mori, YouTube and Facebook, Smillion Mori, Warrior Family, Twitter, Smillion Mori, and LinkedIn, Smillion Mori. 